want to read Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honourable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be remindful of his covenant. He hath showed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand forever and ever, and are done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverent is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praises endureth forever. We've been looking at Malachi the last uh, three Sundays and we come on to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the, as you said, it's the last book of the Old Testament. If you find the start of the New Testament, Matthew, and go back one book, you'll come out of Malachi. And chapter 3, and I just want to read just a few verses in Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. And the fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. That they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord. As in the days of old and as in former years. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow, and the fatherless, that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. That last verse actually sums up pretty well what it's like these days, isn't it? People are out for their own ways and their own ends. 
and they fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. And in, in that psalm we read in Psalm 111, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, righteous fear of God. But that's, we can leave that for a minute. We come to the fact that there's a promise here that a messenger is going to come. And we need to go back to verse 17 in the previous chapter. Malachi has been a messenger from God. And he is telling what God has told him to tell. And that's what we were saying, what a messenger is. A messenger is someone who tells what he has been told to tell. He doesn't tell something he's made up himself, or he's not a messenger. It's like Jesus said to the disciples, you shall be witnesses. And a witness, if you go into the witness box, you only tell what you have seen, the actual thing. And Malachi was a messenger. He was telling the message of God. He wasn't making up what he should say. And he had warned and told the, the people the, the priests had been unfaithful in chapter 1. The priests had offered sacrifices which had polluted the offering, the, the sacrifice of God. And then he came on last week, we saw where the people, the people had constantly sinned against God. And they kept saying, wherefore, wherefore have we offended you? Even though they had offended God, they still were prepared to argue about it. And then in verse 17 of chapter 2 it says, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. And yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied him? Having been told all the things that they had done in chapter 2, they still were prepared to say, You know, in what way? How have we wearied you? And that's the same it is with people today. When we come to, to tell people that they need to be saved, that they are sinners, they are prepared to argue the bit out. The people were prepared to argue. Wherein have we wearied him? Wherein? And what they were saying was, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Every man did what was right, we, say, we read in, in, uh, when, in the days of Noah. Everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. That's the way it is now. We were watching a program last night and there was a girl talking on it and she was saying, you know, God is within us. We have to sort out ourselves within ourselves. We've got to know ourselves. And it, you can do what you like provided you don't affect other people. Do unto others as they would do unto you, she said. The golden rule, that's what she lived by. Didn't matter what she did provided she didn't affect other people. And then they said here, where is the God of judgment? Now these people who were only back a comparatively short time from having been taken to Babylon captive. They had been there for 70 odd years. They had come back. And Nehemiah and Ezra and the prophets Haggai had constantly told them they had to get themselves sorted out. They had started up the worship of God again. They had rebuilt the temple. And they had drifted away. They had mixed the profane with the holy. They had begun to worship other gods as the people around them. And God was constantly warning the people that they would be judged again. And yet they said here, where is this God of judgment? Where is he? And you know, there's a verse in Peter, 2 uh, Peter chapter 3, 
and verse 4. But we'll just look at a couple of verses before that. Second Peter chapter 3. Just before Revelation. And here is a picture of what it is like today. We start off at verse 1. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own ways, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, and that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. And it goes on to say that, you know, God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. People say, you know, the Lord is coming back, we tell them. Someday Jesus is going to come to take his church to be with himself. And they say, you know, things have just drifted on. You keep on saying this. People have been saying this for 2,000 years. But God is not slack. His promises and his judgment will come. And that's what these people were saying. Where is the God of judgment? I remember being at a, a, a dinner one night and a, a, a clergyman chap said, oh, these people are always talking about the Lord coming back. And he, he obviously didn't believe it. But God is not slack, as men count slackness. And here is the answer they gave. They, they said, where is the promise of his coming? Where is this God of judgment? And in verse 1, God's answer. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. It's so definite. He says, I will send my messenger. There was a positiveness about this. And there's a positiveness about the fact that good Jesus is coming back again. And he says, my messenger. Now, I always thought that was interesting. He sent John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a special person. Jesus said that, that, there was, that he, he was particular. John was a very special person. In Luke 7, 28, Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. John was a particular messenger. John's duty, John's office, was to be a messenger of God. He was to be a messenger of God and for God. I, I thought, when I was thinking about this, you know, we, 
If we were going to maybe organize the fact that somebody was going to come to say that the Lord Jesus was coming to earth, we'd have probably sent a, the archangel, or, or at least an ordinary angel. But God chose a sinful man to tell the message before, to go before, to tell that Jesus was coming. And he shall prepare the way. What a wonderful privilege John had to tell the people that the Lord Jesus was coming. But you know, we have the same privilege. We have the same privilege. And it is our duty, the same as it was the duty of John to be a messenger for God. It is our duty as Christians to be messengers, to tell the good news of Jesus to those around us. We are quite like, we are, we are in the same position. John's office, John's duty was to be a messenger for God. And John's work, we look at what John's work was. John's work was to prepare people for the Messiah. We have to prepare people too, because someday Jesus is coming back. And people need to be warned that this, this world of ours is under judgment. And we as Christians have that duty. And John was fearless. He was an amazing character. He was fearless. And he had to tell people that Jesus had been born and that he was there in their midst. And he pointed them out to Jesus. He pointed them to Jesus. That was all part of the mission. He preached a doctrine of repentance. He, he told them that they had to repent of their sins. People came out from all parts of Galilee, thousands of them, and he preached a doctrine of repentance. And that's what we have to preach. We have to tell people they have to repent of their sins. Repent. Turn direction and change direction, change their thoughts. Peter, when he was preaching on the day of Pentecost, he was preaching and they said, he said, repent. What, shall, what are we to do? What are they to do, the people said. What, what, what are we to do? What, how can we be right with God? And he said, you have to repent. Now what he was really saying was, you know, a few weeks ago, you had crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. You turned on him. You, you crucified him on a cross. Now you have to turn. You have to think again what, who this person is. And you have to realize that this person is the Messiah of God. And you have to turn to him and repent and think again. Repose. It comes from the French. Think again. We have to be sorry for our sins and we have to think again as to how we look at Jesus. Not just a figure in history. Not just someone who has been crucified for, by, by the Jews. But you have to look at him as the Son of God who died upon the cross for you and for me. And that was John's message. Uh, uh, and then he baptized them. And, you know, the, the, the duties that, jo that John performed were very similar to those that you and I have been called to do the, at this present time. John was a remarkable person. John, he was, his father was performing some functions in the temple and an angel appeared to him. And said that his wife was going to have a baby. And he didn't believe him. So he was struck dead. He was struck dumb. He was struck dumb. That would have been a bit too drastic. He was struck dumb. 
until the baby was born. And they came to, to name the baby. And they were all going to call him after some rich uncle or something. But he says, no, his name has to be John. He wrote it down on a bit of paper. And the, 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 then he got his, his voice back. And we don't know much about John's early life. We don't know. We only have to work out, patch up from various bits of scripture what John, the, the, what John was really like. For the first 30 odd years, he was about six months older than Jesus. For the first 30 odd years, we don't know an awful lot about him. But he, he then appeared to be preaching in the wilderness, telling people about the coming Messiah. We know that he was a Nazarite, or we, we, we assume he was a Nazarite. And if you go back to Numbers chapter 6, we'll see what, uh, what made this man tick, as it were. He worked in the desert. Uh, he wore a, a, a coat of camel hair and had a belt around it. And he was a rough and ready character. He was, he was, he was quite prepared to stand up for his beliefs. When the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees came out and he realized that these fellows were, were a bit hypocritical, but they were the leaders of the religious orders in those days, he called them snakes in the grass. He said, you're, you're a crowd of vipers. Who's told you to come out here? But he was a Nazarite. And if you look at Numbers chapter 6, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of a separation he shall eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of a separation shall, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in which he separated himself unto the Lord. And he shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separated himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother or for his brother or for his sister when they die because the consecration of his God is upon his head. And all the days of his separation he shall be holy unto the Lord. And then they go on to say if any man dies suddenly beside him, he has to consecrate himself all over again. And the priest shall offer the offering for a sin offering and on the other for a burnt offering and make an atonement. And interesting, it goes on to say that when this happens, when he defiles himself during the time he is having this vow to the Lord, in verse 12 it says... And he shall consecrate unto the Lord the days of his separation. And he shall bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering. But the days that were before shall be lost because his separation was defiled. Now, 
this was like John. We could, I don't want to talk too long about this Nazarite thing. But when a man made a vow to be a Nazarite, he separated himself unto the Lord. He separated himself to, to perform a certain function for God. And that is like us as Christians. When we become Christians, we become separated from, 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 the, from the world, as it were. Jesus, when he was talking in John 17, he said, he prayed for his disciples. He said, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And I was thinking when I was doing this, it would be a nice motto to have. Not of the world. You know, we have t-shirts with various things. We used to, when we were doing the youth club thing, we had go against the flow. And we had the little fish going against all the other fish. But, you know, it'd be a good one to have was not of, not of the world. Not of the world. Not of the world. We live in the world. They are in the world, Jesus said, but they're not of the world. And that's what this Nazarite vow was like. He, it was showing to people that they had consecrated themselves to God. And the interesting thing was, they, they weren't to take strong drink. Now this, this was a, a sign, really, of pleasure. The, the worldly pleasure. But the interesting thing was that they were to not even take, uh, apart from the drink, they weren't to even to take the, the dried grapes. They were to steer clear of everything connected with that. You say, that, that was strange. You thought if they just kept off the strong drink, that would have been enough. No, the things that appeared to be all right to people, they still clear, kept clear of that. And, and it says in Scripture, we are to keep clear of all appearance of evil. You know, sometimes the things that we do are, to all intents and purposes, nothing wrong with them. But we must remember that people are watching us. And when we are separated for God, we need to be people that are pure and holy. Separated for God's use. And, and they weren't even allowed to, to take the kernels or the dried grapes, which wouldn't have had any effect on them. Wouldn't have made them drunk or anything. But they were to steer clear of anything that appeared to be evil. That appeared to be evil. And we can go on about the cutting of the hair. But the other thing was, when they did, when they did fail within that time, when they, when they, a dead body died, somebody died near them, they had to reconsecrate themselves. And quite often we fail. We will fail God. Many times we slip away. We have to get back to the place where we went astray and get right with God at that particular place. The, the prime example of that probably is Abraham. Abraham was traveling along and he, he came to Bethel and he offered a sacrifice at Bethel. And then he, he was a bit afraid because there was a famine in the land and he went down into Egypt. And he, he disobeyed God in Egypt. Got into a terrible mess down there. But you know what happened? Until Abraham made further progress in his life with God, he had to get back to Bethel where he had gone astray. And then he had to offer a sacrifice to God at that particular spot. And the interesting thing it says here, but the days that were before shall be lost. 
You see, when this man, this Nazarite, strayed away from the vow that he had taken, he had to reconsecrate himself to God. He had to get back to the position he was when he made his first vow. And then he moved on in his Nazarite vow after that. And that's the way it is with us as Christians. We fail sometimes. We, we get away from God in our lives. And it's only when we get back to that place where we, where we strayed away and confess our sins. The scripture says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is only then we get back to that position that we can start moving on with God. And John the Baptist, because it's a long way from, from Malachi, John the Baptist stray, it was, it was a Nazarite. He was one who was prepared to, to, to stand up and be different. We don't read of him ever and compromising his position. He had to say what God, he was a messenger and he was giving God's message to the people. And he, he wasn't prepared to compromise when the religious leaders came out he told them what God said about them when the, the soldiers came out he told them what they should do when the ordinary people came out he told them how they should work but the, he preached a gospel of repentance and then he, he pointed to Jesus he pointed people to Jesus he said Behold the Lamb of God. And he was a wonderful character from the point of view that when you think of it, he had to decrease. When Jesus arrived on the scene, his, his work was virtually finished. Because that was what his job was, to point people to Jesus, to tell them that the Messiah was coming and he was in their midst. And then some of his disciples left him and went and followed Jesus. Now if that had happened to me, I'd have been a bit cross about it. I would have been a bit jealous. But that John, he was a wonderful person. He said that not even worthy to, to, to do up his shoelaces. This man who's coming, the Messiah. And our Lord spoke about John. He said he was a burning and a shining light. A burning and a shining light. And I thought that would be a great description to have. That God or Jesus could say that about you and me. That we were burning. We had that burning desire to do what he wants us to do. And that we were shining lights. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he also said, you are the lights of the world. We sang that chorus. Let there be love shared among us. Let there be love in our eyes. Let us shine for Jesus. You know, uh, Beverly Shea used to sing, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Shine all over wherever you live. I'm going to let, let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Jesus bids us shine with a clear, pure light, like a little candle burning in the night. In this world of darkness, so we must shine, you in your small corner and I in mine. He was a shining light a burning and a shining light I hope that I am a burning and a shining light I hope I will be through the power of God's Holy Spirit indwelling us and his message was that the Lord whom ye seek whom ye desire is going to come 
Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Seek with an earnest desire and with care. That's what we have to tell people to do. That the Lord God has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the saviour of the world. And he is here. And we have to seek him. Whom ye desire. Do we, do we desire that other people may know our Lord and Saviour as we know him? Whom ye delight in, whom ye desire, shall suddenly come to his temple. Shall suddenly come to his temple. They, the Jews were expecting their Messiah. The Jews were expecting the Lord God to send his Messiah. But when he came, sadly, they didn't recognize. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. They didn't recognize him when he came. And yet, here was a special messenger. It was recorded in Isaiah. It's recorded in Malachi that John would come and tell people that the Messiah was here in their midst but they didn't believe it when it came how sad he came to the temple at Jerusalem and it's his house his temple devoted to his service and worship which proves him to be God and because of his frequency in it he was here he was brought and presented by his parents at the proper time for the purification of his mother where Simeon Anna and others were waiting for him. Remember that lovely story when Mary and Joseph came into the, the temple and old Simeon was there. And he said, now you can let this servant, your servant depart in peace for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He'd been sitting there waiting day after day and he'd been told that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah and he recognized the baby Jesus in his mother's arms. That's part of when Jesus appeared in his temple. Here at the temple he was brought when he was 12 years of age and we know that story so well where he discussed with the elders. He stayed behind when his parents went off home. Uh, he was there talking with the, the leaders of the, the religion and discussing things that were unheard of for a 12 year old boy in those days didn't discuss things with rabbis. And here he cleansed it uh, of the merchants he said you have made my father's house a den of thieves and it was here that the hosannas in a few weeks time we'll be thinking of of they walk into jerusalem when they the crowds spread out the their clothes and the the palm branches they waved them in the air here was at the temple where all that happened he came to his temple. And even with all that, the people didn't recognize him. And then it says, even the messenger of the covenant. And we read that Psalm 111 where we saw that God's covenants are sure and eternal. But what covenant were they talking about here in this verse? Even the messenger of the covenant. It was the covenant 
of grace. In Jeremiah 31, we have the, the verse 31-13, that's where... Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Here was a new covenant was going to be made. The covenant of grace, which Christ is not only the surety. If we look at Hebrews, go flip, flip, flip over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 22. Jesus said when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, this is the new covenant, the new agreement in my blood. You now have a new, new covenant with me. Those who come into the, the covenant of grace through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the new covenant in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 7, 22, he says, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better covenant. The old covenant passed away when Jesus came. He fulfilled the old letter of the law, but he brought in a better covenant, the new covenant, and it was a surety, and the surety was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What a wonderful surety we have. You know, if it was on man's word or on somebody else's word, but the surety of the better covenant was Jesus made a surety of the better covenant. The covenant which we have as Christian believers through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 9.15, and for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament or the New Covenant. That by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant. They, shall, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance in this new covenant through which Jesus is the mediator Jesus is the, the there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus and he's the mediator of the new covenant but in this verse in Malachi it says he is the messenger of the new covenant the messenger because it is revealed and made known through him he shall come saith the Lord of hosts the certainty of his coming and he did come as we know, he came as a babe to Bethlehem. Who said it? The Lord of hosts said it. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. Jesus was the messenger. He was the one through whom this covenant was revealed. Whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. He shall come. And he did come. And he's coming again. And that's the great hope we have. That's the great message that we as messengers can tell people. He's coming again. How can we know he's coming again? Because he said it. As the Lord of hosts said it about his first coming. So Jesus says it about his second coming. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, 
that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. And it goes on, doesn't it? Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that's the message we have to tell people. They are under God's judgment. Those who have not accepted Christ as their Savior, they are condemned already. Condemned already, the Bible tells us. But that Jesus is coming again, and we need to be ready for him. We're like John. He came as a messenger. His duty was to tell people of the coming Messiah. Our duty as Christians is to tell those people around us, tell our neighbours, tell our friends that Jesus is coming again and we need to be ready. That God has promised to those who accept Christ as their Saviour and Lord who come to him in repentance and faith, eternal life and the joy of seeing him, seeing our Lord and Saviour face to face as Fanny Crosby said in our hymn face to face shall I behold him far beyond the starry sky face to face in all his glory I shall see him by and by only faintly now I see him with the darkening veil between but a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen face to face with Christ my Saviour Face to face, what will it be when with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me? Let us think of that chorus we sang. Let there be love shared among us. Let there be love in our eyes. Let the people around us see Jesus in us today. And may we, like John, remember that we have come into a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that like him who became a Nazarite, and he was separate. He was different. Let us not be ashamed. And be, let us be prepared to be different. And not to, not to let little things. Which may seem okay. But let them not come into our lives. That our lives, as Jesus said, we are not of the world. Let, us, let that be our motto this week. Not of the world. That we belong to the living Lord Jesus. Let's just pray. Oh God our Father, we, we thank you for the examples which we see in your word. We thank you for people like John who, who stood out and was prepared to stand up with the message that you had given to be your messenger, your special messenger. And grant, O oh God, today that we may be prepared to stand up and be counted for you. O oh God, keep us pure. Keep us holy. Keep us separate. And yet, O oh God, keep us relevant to the people around us. May they see Jesus in us. May they see love in our eyes. And give us the courage to be witnesses for you this week and in the weeks to come. In Jesus' precious name we pray.